Good morning, everybody. My name's David, for those that uh, don't know me. So um, it's good to see you all. My youngest daughter uh, has travelled the world um, and she started when she was quite young. I remember the first time that uh, Kate and I uh, sent her off. Um, She was still a teenager, quite young, and she was off to attend a three-week language intensive in Berlin. She was flying with uh, three other teenagers her age to Singapore, then Frankfurt, and then Berlin. They looked so young as they walked through that door into customs. And I was anxious. I wanted to make sure that she would be safe, that she wouldn't get lost as she looked for connecting flights, that she wouldn't that that nefarious people would not take advantage of her. I was not there. I could not help her. I was not in control. I was anxious. You can understand that, can't you? When we come to 2 Thessalonians, we come to a church that is also anxious. Not only were they a young church facing persecution, But now they had heard that Jesus has already returned and that has made them anxious, unsettled and alarmed. They were concerned that somehow they had missed out. In this chapter that we're looking at today, Paul writes to comfort them. You have not missed out. What's happened is that you are not reading the times that you live in. You have forgotten what I have said to you. So as we come to what must be one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament, let's pray for God's help. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who speaks, a God who wants to be known. Father, we pray that as we read your word now that you would open our hearts and your minds. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you would inspire us to understand this word so that we might be encouraged to stand firm and bring glory to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul starts this chapter by saying this. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching, allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. You see, the problem facing the Thessalonian church that actually is the purpose of this letter is that someone has been spreading a rumour that Paul himself has announced that Jesus has already come, that the Lord has returned, that the day of the Lord has come. Now, why is that a problem? I would have thought that would have been a good thing, that Jesus has returned. Why is it a problem? Well, it goes back to the opening chapter that we looked at last week. You see, in the midst of their suffering, Paul was encouraging them to stand firm. For a time will come, he says, when God will intervene. He said, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. 
God is a God of justice. God will bring justice and relief to you who are being persecuted. So don't be afraid. And when will this happen? Well, he says, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with his powerful angels. This justice will come on the day of the Lord when Jesus is revealed. He will come and set things right. That's what we looked at last week. But Jesus has come, or so the rumour says. And if that's the case, then where is this justice? Where is this relief that has been promised? Perhaps he is unable to do it. Perhaps he is unwilling to do it. Perhaps we have missed out. Do you see why they're anxious? This rumour has shaken them and they are alarmed. So Paul writes to set the record straight. You see, this letter, right at its heart, is a pastoral one. Paul dearly loves this church. All you have to do is read the opening couple of chapters of 1 Thessalonians to see how much he loves them. And so he writes to them to assure them that they have not missed out because they are loved, they are chosen, and they are set apart for God. And so he goes on to this chapter to talk about why they should not be alarmed. And so I paraphrase here. Don't be deceived, he says. The day of the Lord has not yet begun, since we have not experienced yet the rebellion or the man of lawlessness. Both these things must come before the day of the Lord. Although the secret power of lawlessness or wickedness is already at work, the man of lawlessness is being restrained. But when the time is right, he will be revealed. And the Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and the splendour of his coming. Don't you remember? I told you about all these things while I was still with you. There you go. There's a synopsis of this chapter. Pretty simple, isn't it? So well, what's it all about? Well, one thing that's really clear is that Thessalonians understand what Paul is saying. He had spoken plainly to them about it. He was passing on to them exactly the same sorts of details and ideas and thoughts that Jesus had given the disciples in Matthew 24. Put the two passages side by side and you'll see how they parallel each other. But our problem is that we were not there. We didn't hear what Paul had to say to them. And so there's a whole lot of details we want to know. Who is this man? Who is restraining him? When will he be revealed? They're the sorts of things that are bubbling up in our mind, aren't they, when we read a passage like this? But we have not been told. And that's what makes this passage so difficult to understand. You see, God has chosen not to tell us these things because we do not need to know. He does this on purpose so that we may trust him in his word. 
So let's turn away from such questions and look at what God does reveal in this passage to us. Well, in a nutshell, Paul says, before Jesus comes again, there will be a period of widespread rebellion against God, led by one who's very, who is the very embodiment of this lawlessness. He will try to seize the throne of God and claim divine honours for himself and be treated like God. But we need not fear, for God is in control. This one is doomed for destruction and will be snuffed out by the coming of the Lord Jesus himself. The underlying word that's being used here for rebellion is, the, is, is, is apostasia, um, from which we get the word apostasy. It's actually in the, in the first century world, then apostasy was a technical word um, for political revolt or religious defection. So a time is coming when there will be widespread opposition to all that is God and a wholesale rejection of his truth. That's what Paul's talking about. Not just from outside the church, but also from within the church. Jesus warns about it in Matthew 24, when the apostles ask about the signs of his coming. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. This apostasy is not the sort of ups and downs of Christian faithfulness. This is something very different. This rebellion will be decisive, wholesale, catastrophic rejection of all that is God's. And it's coming. And it will be led by one who is the very embodiment of lawlessness, of anti-godness. Now, this is where it can get a bit tricky. I could actually spend some time chasing this figure through the pages of Scripture because he is there starting in Daniel and going all the way through to uh, Revelation. But I'm not going to. Um, what I've done is I've left a link on the, uh, uh, put a link on the bottom of the outline um, that you've been given, and that goes into a really good discussion about who the man of lawlessness is in 2 Thessalonians. So you can look that up and have a read. What Paul calls this person is the man of lawlessness, the one who is doomed for destruction. He actually clearly believes that this is a person whose life will be characterised by their strenuous opposition to God's rule. Indeed, this one will seek to become like God himself. He will come with the power of Satan and through great signs and wonders, he will seek to deceive as many people as he can with his lives, with his lies. You see, this is so like Satan. The serpent of Genesis chapter 3. You remember the picture? Serpent coming to, Ad, uh, to Adam and Eve. And there in the garden, he tempted them. And at the heart of what he tempts them to be is to become like God. That's what Adam and Eve is tempted to, to become. It's so like Satan. So it's no wonder that at the end of the age, we will see at the culmination of all things, the rising of one whose desire is to become like God. 
It is the heart of sinfulness. We do not know who this one is. He is yet to be revealed. But Paul says in verse 7 that the lawlessness that he represents is actually at work secretly in the world around us now. So we should not be surprised if we see people like this come and go seeking to deceive people and pull them away from the truth. It is all part of Satan's plan to deceive and derail God's people. John puts it like this in his first epistle. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And Jesus also says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. These, friends, are the times we live in. Our world will be characterised by wickedness and is going from bad to worse. We should not be surprised. But there's another one at work. We see evidence of this in verses 6 and 7. Twice Paul says this rebellion is being held back. And what's more, you Thessalonians, you know who it is that's holding him back. Again, we are left in the dark. God has not told us who this one is. But suffice it to say that this person or, or persons or, or even God himself, whoever it is, is an agent of God, on God's side, doing God's bidding. You see, Paul wants us to understand that the law, man of lawlessness is not sovereign. The man of lawlessness cannot do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He is constrained. He will only be revealed when the time is right. And God is the God of time. God remains in complete control of the events of history. When this lawless one is revealed, he will not be taken by surprise. In fact, this lawless one, doomed for destruction, will be overthrown by the very coming of Jesus Christ himself. Such will be the contrast between this would-be God sitting on his would-be throne when the true God comes in all his glory, such will be the contrast that everybody will see that he is a charlatan. There will be no debate. The splendour of Jesus' coming will destroy him. So do not be anxious about these things. This is the message that Paul wants to give to the Thessalonians. And that is the message that Paul is giving to us. The world is going from bad to worse, but God is in control. However, it raises a question. Can we be deceived? Can we be taken in by the wickedness of this one, the lies that he gives, the signs and wonders that he will perform. 
Can we be taken in and fall away? Paul turns to this in verse 9. He says, The man of lawlessness will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Yes, says Paul, there will be people from amongst the church as well as out in the world who will be deceived and fall away. But the responsibility is theirs. They perish because they refuse to love the truth, but rather delight in wickedness. Shocking, isn't it? But what Paul says next is even more shocking. It is one of the most uncomfortable statements in Scripture. Because they refuse to love the truth, God sends them a powerful delusion so they will believe the lie and be condemned. Paul wants his readers to understand that although some will perish through Satan's work of deception, this does not mean that God is a powerless, passive observer. God is directing these things to his own ends so that even Satan serves God's own purpose. No one will be able to blame God when that they perished because they are responsible for rejection reject of the because they are responsible for their rejection of the truth. Yet at the same time no one will be able to credit Satan with success because God is in control of all things even Satan and his lies. Friends, this is what God's sovereignty means. He is in control of it all. These two truths are woven together as an encouragement and a warning to the Thessalonians and to us. Encouragement that God is in control no matter what is happening in the world. He has promised that he will bring justice and relief to his people and it will happen. But it's a warning to not stray from the truth, but to trust God's sovereign purpose to the very end. Friends, this is not easy. It is not an easy passage, but this is what the Bible teaches. If we believe in God's sovereignty, then this is what it looks like. And so Paul turns to them in the final verses of, chapter, of the chapter to assure them of their salvation and encourage them to stand firm in the truth. And the truth is this. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you may share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are loved 
by the Lord Jesus. That's the truth. Who came into the world to save them. This love is not fickle like human love. This love is eternal. It is steadfast. It is true. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul prays that they may know the width and the height and the depth and the length of the eternal love that Jesus has for them. They are chosen by God to be saved. This is God's choice made before the foundation of the world and rooted in his steadfast faithfulness to his promises. The Thessalonians need not fear, they are in safe hands. And they are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. To be sanctified, to be holy, means to be set apart for God. They have been set apart as his people, cherished and dearly loved. Many Christians struggle with this doctrine of election just as they struggle with a God who sends a powerful delusion. But Paul doesn't mention this electing process and this electing purpose of God here to get into a theological debate. Nowhere in the Bible where election is talked about is it about a theological debate. It is all about comfort. It is all about assurance. It is all about certainty and safety in the hands of a sovereign God. So Paul's plea to his beloved Thessalonians is this. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm, hold fast to the teachings we have passed on to you. For if Jesus loves you, if God has chosen you, if the Holy Spirit has sanctified you so that you will share in Jesus' glory, then stand firm in that truth and don't let anyone deceive you. We had, I think, like many, a disrupted Christmas. All the plans and all the hopes that we had were dashed by COVID. Our Christmas lunch with 19 members of our extended family turned into four people at our house because the host got COVID. Our few nights down at the, uh, on the south coast, the only holidays we were going to have was abandoned. Again, because of COVID. Even our chance to sit with friends and enjoy the fireworks on New Year's Eve out on the harbour were dashed because of a boathouse fire at the Darlinghurst Marina. And yesterday we canned our daughter's engagement party because she tested positive to COVID. How do we cope in these uncertain times when Everything is happening. Everything is going on. How do we cope? How do we live in a world that is characterised by hatred of all that is God and a rejection of his truth? By standing firm in the truth of the gospel as it is taught in the Bible. By not being deceived to go to the left or to the right, chasing after other things but standing firm. This is the truth. You are loved by Jesus who died for you. You have been chosen by God. 
You have been sanctified and set apart by the Holy Spirit. Stand firm because when Jesus comes again, we will be taken together to share in his glory. So may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us by his grace uh, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage us, our hearts, and strengthen us in every good deed and word. Amen.